0: Yo, what's good? This is Darius, and this is Josh.
1: What's happening is Matt.
0: You are now tuned in to the Dominate the Decade podcast. Let's go.
1: I'm trapped in. I'm trapped in. I know it. Hey, I
2: know I'm trapped. I'm, tra- I'm trapped. I know I'm trapped. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look.
1: I heard my nigga talking about me. whisper getting closer. Niggas ain't breaking bread I don't even know Hey, so as you guys know, we're still in quarantine Everybody's still in the house Well, actually, it seems like people are starting to get their jobs back going But uh, if you haven't Movies uh, movies that are for free on Amazon right now, Just Mercy is one of them. 13th has been out there. I think a lot of people have seen it at this point. I think that one came out maybe like a month ago at this point now. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I think they just won another award for it as a matter of fact. I forgot the lady's name, but she really did something on that project. Yeah,
2: Yeah, Ava DuVernay. Yo, she kills every project she's in. She does a lot of different ones.
1: But we all decided to tune in to both Just Mercy and 13th and kind of do a deeper dive into it.
2: Uh, I felt like there was a lot of interesting things there, and there were a lot of things that kind of correlated between the movies as well. So while I was watching 13th, I was like, man, this kind of reminds me of uh, Just Mercy, because I just saw Just Mercy whenever it came out. I think uh, early February is when it came out. Saw it in theaters maybe a week or two after it came out, and I was like, man, that's a very, very powerful movie. So definitely wanted to hop back in and uh, discuss a little bit with y'all.
1: Real quick. And apparently it didn't do quite as good at the box office as I think they were expecting it to do, but I think just like a lot of other movies like this with historical significance, over time it'll age really well. Yeah. So people will be able to go back, and be. And obviously now that it's free, because usually you probably had to pay for it on Amazon yeah. or one of the different uh, outlets, I guess you could say, but now people are tuning into it and really figuring out uh, how good of a piece it is.
2: Yeah, that's kind of crazy that you say it d- didn't do too well because it had... Jamie Foxx, Michael B. Jordan, that's a pretty star-studded lineup. And, hey, Michael B. Jordan killed this one again. He did another great job. Um, he just embodies every character that he does. He is definitely – I hate to even say he's up-and-coming because he's definitely not up-and-coming, but he's definitely on the the uh, early side of his career. He's got a long way to go. So shout-out Michael B. Jordan.
1: Yeah, I think definitely – because he's
2: been acting for a minute, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think he started off uh, in The Wire – you haven't
1: seen that yet. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to get. I saw like the part of the first episode, and I think they're giving a lot of backstory, and it's kind of hard for me to kind of get into it, but I'm sure. Gotta get. Uh, what is it? Uh, what is that? That is not Showtime. Is that Star HBO. HBO. It's HBO. HBO yeah, so you got to create another email address <laughs> <laughs> and get the free you, trial. you seen uh,
0: The Wire? No, I haven't. Um, but speaking of young Michael B. Jordan, I think the first thing I saw him in, uh, there was this Keanu Reeves movie Hardball, where he goes. He's in, like, Chicago teaching, like, young kids how to play baseball or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Uh, RIPG, baby. Uh, the worst on-screen TV depth of all time.
2: Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Michael B. Jordan was in that. He was, like, seven, I think. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, then right that must have been his first. While. That has to be his first one. Because uh, he was a little bit older on The Wire. But to see, he just started off from that. And then you see where he at. he's at now. And it's just like, man, he really took off. But, yeah, killed that role. Um, one of the thing that I really liked about his character was he really kind of changed it up and really embodied this uh, kind of Harvard-educated guy. He was uh, very, very subtle and very, a little timid in his role until he really got that like power behind his voice. And of course, he started off with a really good, um, really good mission of, hey, I just want to change lives. And Thinking about how he went to Harvard, he could go study law anywhere. He could go practice law anywhere. But he was down in the South doing free work, actually, like, saving people's lives, literally. So I think he did everything he kind of set out to accomplish.
1: Yeah, his mother was not a fan in the film. I'm sure as many mothers would be. He was from, where's the Mass? Delaware. Delaware. And yeah. I don't know too much about Delaware, but I don't think it's full of black people. And so anyway, <laughs> and so it's like you're going down to where the South, to what? Like help fight for injustice for black people. Uh, I guess fight cases in that case. Yeah. But it's like, that's a dangerous role as anybody would know. Yeah. And so she wasn't too happy, but it's good that he did what was right.
2: Yeah, and before we hop in any deeper, let's just go ahead and say we are going to analyze this and maybe uh there's some spoilers ahead so if you haven't watched this this great movie yet go on amazon prime it is free to rent i think it was made free to rent maybe like two two or three weeks ago yeah Yeah. um at the height of uh all the protests and things going on by the way that's a great initiative to kind of educate people about what's going on and kind of some of the things that have happened before so yeah do not want to spoil anything for you so if you haven't watched it stop it here and come back whenever you watch it and uh we're definitely about to take a little deep dive. Just make sure you come back. So if you don't <laughs> go, make
1: sure you circle back around.
0: But yeah, to give, um, I guess, a little bit more context. So the movie, uh, Just Mercy, Michael B. Jordan plays Brian Stevenson, who, like we've already said, Harvard-educated lawyer. He left you know, the comfort of his home up in Delaware to move to Alabama to start this organization called the Equal Justice Initiative. And so what he was doing in Alabama was helping death row inmates who may not have had adequate legal representation uh, helped them get that figured out, and so in the movie he really works with three different people: this first guy named Herbert, William Mcmillan, and the other guy his name was Ray and so basically he while he he doesn't successfully help Herbert, but he does you know get a stay of execution for at least a little bit and the story does kind of more so focus on William Mcmillan, who was excuse me he was convicted of murdering a young lady in Monroeville, Alabama, even though there was no evidence tying him to the crime. And the one piece of evidence that they had was the false accusations that were presented by another inmate who uh, they were basically arresting on another murder charge, who later ended up saying that he didn't do it. But anyway, we'll get more so into that later. But yeah, the story kind of centers more so on the relationship between Brian and William and like dealing with that case and the racial implications of it. And... This small town in Alabama.
1: The setup of it was crazy because it literally showed like him failing right out the gate. And then so it really led to suspense. Like, Okay, is he going to be able to win this next case? Because I, I would think in most movies you would think, it's like okay, he, he keeps winning them. But it's like, nah, it showed some hardship there. And so therefore you're like, I don't know, is he going to be able to win this one or not? But also with, who was the, the guy who made the false statement and ended up going back on his name?
0: Um, Ralph. I know his name was Ralph. Ralph something i can not
2: remember his last
1: name. Yeah, kind of she went goes to show what the police would do cuz at first he that guy it didn't show us to later but on video or I guess the audio they were saying
2: he didn't do it he admitted he said yeah i can't uh i can't convict a person an innocent man of a crime that he didn't do just yeah. to get myself <laughs> off. So i thought it was really interesting how he started off like that and then they just kind of wore him down yeah. to get to this confession that was obviously wrong. And they really pitted his life against his. You know, they they put, they put pitted uh, each of their lives against each other. And it's like, hey, if it's not him, you're going to the hole. You're going to uh, your execution. So I feel like any person in that situation uh, will really have some thinking to do about, oh, man, is my life um, worth losing over just this random person that I know? Um, but I'm super glad, huge spoiler here, that uh, he ended <laughs> up telling everyone that uh he didn't see anything he made the whole accusation up and he really played the most integral part in um getting the guy off
1: and then with mike what's michael b's character name you i'm uh, not good at name but darius is the name guy you know, uh, brian stevenson the, and did you see when they were in the courtroom how he decided to stand in between him and the police so therefore he'd be able to give like a statement i guess off like clear conscience without looking at that police officer because when they were in that courtroom i was thinking okay we got all the way here and he's about to take back all his statements. Be like, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. And then our other guy was going to end up uh, in jail or death or whatever the penalty was going to be.
0: Yeah, I think the thing with that is just it's interesting to see that like the links that, I guess, and we've already kind of talked about it, the police and the legal system would go to just to arrest this black man for, oh well, to give a little bit more backstory. William McMillan uh, was, like I said before, falsely accused of murdering this white woman. Uh, well, I didn't say she's white, but she's white. <laughs> Honestly, it's kind of, that goes without saying. But anyway. I don't think they would care
2: that much if it was black
0: on black. Yeah. So anyway, so he falsely he's falsely accused of killing this white woman um, as sort of payback for the fact that William McMillan had an extramarital affair with this other white woman. Um, and so him being a black man having sex with a white woman, that was like a no-go in this small Alabama town. And so basically, they were just looking for reasons to... I guess just take him down on something. And so when the lady ended up getting killed uh, and they couldn't find the killer after a year, they're just like, okay, well, let's just, like, make it so that it looks like William McMillan, or Johnny D, as they call him. Um, let's just make it look like he did it. Yeah. And so it's, it's just interesting to see the links that they would go to to, like, make that narrative work, even though, like, it clearly didn't work. Like, they... There was so much evidence that they just had to completely ignore in order to make that happen. And even dealing with the Ralph character, like, they literally tortured the man just to get him to, like, basically
2: frame Wal- uh, William to, like, you know, go along with his narrative. Yeah, and I thought that was pretty crazy to hear about the true motives behind that. Like, you could hear whenever the police officer at the end, sheriff, police officer, whatever he's called, um, he was saying, hey, we just want to keep our community members safe. We want to um, have this family being Feeling good about, okay, we got our killer. He's not just out there. There there has been justice, served. So you could hear that that's really the one of the reasons, I would say, that they went so hard about convicting someone. They're like, okay, we went a year without having someone. The first guy that comes, granted, he's black. It's like, okay, let's do justice. And now we have something to hang our hat on saying, hey, we got this guy. And now you don't really have to worry about it anymore.
1: And then when they stopped, Jamie, it was like, I think he was a business owner, right? Cutting down trees and stuff like that. And almost the only thing that really could potentially be, I guess in that time, was that he was a black guy. Business owner, minding his own business, driving down, being respectful to the police officer. But you saw in that case, once again, it doesn't really matter how. uh, I'm listening to the off subject. I was listening to Jay-Z... OJ song in the 444 album, yeah. and it's like you're black at the end of the day. Yeah, where there's how I'm not gonna say what he kept saying, whether you're in the house, whether you're in the field, whatever yeah. case, you're black, and that's kind of all that true. matters. <laughs> that is true.
0: What was that other song that said, um, it's Kanye, even if you in a bench, you're still
2: a
1: nigga in a coop. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, fact. So, uh, <laughs> all falls
2: down. Shout out to Kanye. everybody <laughs> get a Kanye shout out every episode. We're gonna see if we can that
1: up. But. By the way, we are officially explicit as a podcast. <laughs> <So I> Got <laughs> sure, to make sure to add that in there. I didn't know 100%, but uh, I guess so now. But We'll keep it to a minimum.
2: Got to keep yeah. it PG-13. Yeah. PG-13 is good.
1: So, that little bit of context right there, if, if we haven't spoiled it enough for you, go check out the film and let us know what you think about it. Yeah,
2: Just Mercy. Definitely want to have some more dialogue about that because I feel like it... Even though this was based in the 1980s, right? right. Um, 40 years ago, I feel like the, the system is has not changed too much, um, especially involving death row. And just thinking about death row as a punishment, that really blows my mind that our government, granted, there are some really bad people out here that do really bad things, and some people really deserve the worst punishment that there is, but it just blows my mind that our system can choose okay we're gonna take away your life or even if it's not the death sentence that we're gonna take away the rest of your life in terms of years you're, you're just gonna be sitting in this cell for multiple years and we're gonna dock that off of your life taking years off of someone's life that that just blows my mind to think about but especially with death killing people I'm a person that believes that God is the only person that should be able to like take someone off this earth so Any type of system that does that is like, oh, man, I question that a whole lot. Question the ethics around that a lot.
1: I guess that's kind of a good way whenever you're talking about having these people behind the cells. Because whenever I was watching the document 13, obviously you always know humans are meant to be in cages and stuff like that but when you were sitting there looking at a lot of the cages or the cells in the 13 documentary it's like yo people live there like sometimes those dudes could like probably extend their arms both ways and that's like the whole entire cell and mm. one of the ladies was saying how i think it was her son that was i think so. yeah i think it was her son he didn't even have windows mm. and so it kind of i could see that, that kind of takes your will of life a little bit and then especially whenever you go back outside the uh, when you go back to the regular world... He was in there for 14 years. Damn. That's crazy. And did Jay-Z write I I don't know what I'm talking about Jay-Z so much. Did Jay-Z write a document... Did, I think he did a documentary on that boy... Khalif Browder, yep. Khalif Browder, yeah. You Which is also a, on Netflix. Do you want to give a little context about who that
0: guy was? Um, so Khalif Browder basically was another person who was falsely accused of a crime. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was given the option of either taking a plea deal basically saying that he committed the crime and he would have gotten a shorter sentence than if he had gone to trial. Uh, but because he knew that he didn't do the crime, he didn't take the plea deal. He tr- went to trial. But he was in jail for so long in between when he was accused of the crime initially and then by the time they could go to trial.
1: They dropped the, they dropped the charges? Eventually
0: they her. did drop the charges, but he had already spent so much time in jail before. That it's literally like, I think it was somewhere around like three years. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And he's in, like, jail, jail, not, like, county, something like that. Um, And he had gone through so much, like, physical abuse and mental abuse and emotional abuse while he was in prison for something he didn't do that he ended up killing himself, I think, a year or two after he got out of jail. Because, like I said, the different mental health issues that he, you know, came out with. Um, So, yeah.
2: Yeah, just thinking about the psychological uh, changes that you would go through being in there. Number one, even if you did a crime, being in there having those people around you different people that did these hard crimes and they really a lot of people in there are like okay i may be on life or i may have 25 years it doesn't matter to me what's going on now being in there and just having to face that every single day having your freedom taken away and then adding on top of that knowing that you didn't do something it's like man i i don't know how i would respond i know i would be just tripped out in my mind I'll be like man this is absolutely crazy
1: like get me out of here and in the documentary I heard one of the guys saying the guy with the hat he saying nobody from the hood goes to trial and so you automatically just, you don't automatically, but you just plead, you kind of weigh your options, but that's kind of what the system is kind of built on, i kind of hoping that you do that per se. And so a lot of times, like you say, people are sitting in there, and it's like, I didn't even do it. But it was just the fear of potentially going to trial and then being, because I heard one of the ladies said in documentary, you could be punished, because sometimes the, uh, the justice system kind of looks at you like, how dare you not just take the plea, but you want to challenge our judge system? Okay, well, we're going to give you something for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's just, that's crazy how, like you like we've been saying like you can know in your heart that you didn't do something and like so the like a plea bargain basically is so if i plead let's say i i stole a car um and i get arrested for stealing this car but i claim that i didn't do it i could take a plea bargain which says like okay i will admit to the fact that i did it and maybe i get like five years uh and also i don't know what the sentencing terms for like that I guess in this case, five I'll, years for stealing a car. That's a we'll good it. Well, <laughs> let's say, you know, I can say that I stole this car and I'll get five years versus I profess my innocence uh, and say that I want to take it to trial. Then I can end up getting like, you know, 15 to 20 um, as opposed to like the five. And so, I mean, that's a hard thing to like turn down, especially, you know, if you're, you know, young and you have really the rest of your life ahead of you. And like I said, if you know in your heart that you didn't do it, it's, you know, hard to. Basically, say that you did something you didn't do, uh, and then risk taking like you know, that much more jail time.
1: Yeah. And one thing let me say this real quick. One thing I always think about too is whenever that judge hits, that's the mantle, right? The gavel. When they hit that gavel, excuse me. Not the, not the, whenever they hit that gavel, that's law. Yeah. That's- like whatever it is, there ain't no coming back. So what you hear a lot of times is guys, which just Fifty Cent, has this for life. Which talks about this is like so. Sometimes you get convicted with every case, you go to the prison library. You try to maybe read some books, try to see maybe if there's a loophole in the system. But a lot of times that just doesn't be the case. Just isn't the case. But yeah, I, you know,
2: that's you know, what I thought. Um, having that risk because it definitely is a risk taking uh, the risk of okay, I can either plea and take the short assistant sentence, or I can say I didn't do this, then take that risk to go to trial and all of the institutionalized things that go on there whether it be a jury or um some a judge that kind of isn't in your favor or anything you're just taking a huge huge chance on having a good lawyer uh, being able to afford a good lawyer and i think that also brings into uh, play the kind of how media views things and i know media isn't hot on every single case out there or else they wouldn't be able to but some of these higher name cases where it gets like local media and people formulate these opinions before there's even trials or they kind of uh they brought it up in the documentary they said they uh make people their crime they make that out onto them through the news through uh newspapers through media or anything like that and kind of just force them to force the jury that is to see these people as their crime as oh man they already did this we're coming here to just finish the job off so i feel like just taking that chance is something that's super daunting and you don't want to be like oh man i can end up being in jail three times as long let me just go ahead and take this plea
1: deal it's the risk of a lifetime yeah but to start, I guess we could backtrack a little bit. Y'all have noticed a percentage that y'all really were interested in. Uh, I think right when the documentary started, what was that percentage? Yeah,
2: they opened up with Obama talking about. I also thought it was cool how they started off with Obama. But it was saying how America, the total population of America, only represents five percent of the world population. I think we do. We have like three hundred million. I think Somewhere. just just a little bit over three hundred million, and there's seven billion people in the uh, in the world generally. So they said america represents five percent of the total world population but our country houses 25 percent of all of the prisoners in the world and i'm just like how does that even get to be you know like that doesn't make any sense at all and there's definitely something in the water there
1: so a fourth of the world's population i mean a fourth of the world's prisoners is right here in the united states we're not even talking about north america mm-hmm. No, 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 We're just talking about the United States, the land of the free. The land
2: of the free. That's kind of funny. That's ironic, honestly. Yeah. And I will also say South
0: Carolina specifically, because I know a lot of our listeners in South Carolina, we contribute heavily to that, too. So, Ooh.
2: like, we're up there. Bro, I, I bet that's the same for all of these uh, former 13th uh, states. Yeah, yeah, 13 yeah. 13 states that kind of came. Hey, maybe that's why. It's like 13. No, no, no. It was the 13th Amendment. Yeah, bro. yeah. <laughs> but there were 13 original states that uh, kind of, like, were the base of slavery and where people came in and all these different places. Like Charleston is one of the most famous cities, maybe not like famous now, but it's one of the most historical cities in the whole country, just because that's kind of like where everything started. or That, that was one of the places where everything started. So in the South, there's a whole bunch of history, but a lot of it is negative history too.
1: And we're kind of seeing that with all the statues and stuff that are being torn down. A little history lesson Charleston, I think it was Charlestown, whatever it is. That was the capital of South Carolina, right? For the longest? I think it was for a long time. Yeah, man. Like, yeah. i yeah. almost 100% sure. And also, it kind of goes to show, I don't know, I, you guys I'm sure remember the image where it was shown. I thought it was not cool. Definitely interesting, whenever they, were, they showed the image of the southern states and how people end up leaving us. Black like, people end up leaving us other states and it's not just because of like tourism purposes or something like that it was because of what like refugee i think is what they said
0: yeah and so and that's interesting because like another thing we talk about a lot is kind of like the whitewashing of history and so i know for me personally i was taught that like okay well people just thought that there were better jobs better jobs yeah but i'm like nah. like people were literally getting like lynched left and right and like these people were leaving for fear of their lives they weren't leaving just because they wanted like you know a job at GMC or whatever.
1: <laughs> and then so we see all the time in uh, these other countries. You see it on CNN. I don't know why I but I, I tune in occasionally and I see it. And it's like, so all around the world, in Africa, Libya, different countries. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, we had that going on here with our own people. So yeah. it's something else to note. Exactly. And
2: if it's somewhere else, we're so easy to categorize it as, oh, those refugees need yep. help, mm-hmm. you know? But when it's us or even our, our neighbors, Mexico, like we have people coming over and we're, we look at them as, Not we as a collective, but a group of people within our country, would look at them and say, oh man, that that shouldn't be happening whereas you can look somewhere else and say man, those refugees really need help so I thought it was crazy interesting how people kind of shifted and migrated from the south and you see the ramifications of that every day like Detroit is a huge black city and it's always been, whether it's uh, that same way now, I mean gentrification is still a thing, but uh Oakland, huge black city. Uh, Harlem was another one where people just fled to. And it's like, you still see these things today. And that just kind of reminds you that this was not that long ago.
1: Yeah. One thing, and then also kind of backtrack a little bit, I saw earlier in the documentary when they were talking about the birth of a nation. And I heard about that movie. That's a movie. yeah, Movie about two years ago. I think in one of my history classes. But that's another thing I've noticed. You see a lot of that stuff still present today, as far as the why people, the people thinking African American, African American males are lustful all the time to like white women and stuff right. like that. Because I remember there was a specific part in it where the white girl would rather jump off of the rather jump the ledge, over the, yeah. the ledge than to be raped by a black man. And it's like, they knew what they were doing when they made that film. And so it kind of confirmed to a lot of probably white America at that time, it's like, this is what those people are. So this, so we got to get rid of them. And they said that also led to the resurgence of the KKK, mm. which I was like, okay, that actually makes a lot of sense. And the burning of the cross was not originally the KKK's thing. They said they did that for cinematic purposes. And then then you start seeing it all over the South.
2: Yeah. And I thought that was just interesting to see how that narrative can kind of get changed and they touched on it a little bit later in the documentary whenever they were talking about making uh, these people that are being convicted already saying oh these are criminals you know Um, and we're just finishing the job Um, so that creating a narrative is something that was seen not even just in these specific incidences but over all of kind of our history where you create a narrative of who these people are what they do what you should think when you see them and you just see how that manifests itself in multiple different things and i think to kind of to also like turn that on its head a little bit because
0: uh, in the birth of a nation it does very much focus on the characterization of black men uh but the other like central piece to that is also its characterization of white women um Which is why you see a lot of, like, Karens, I guess as we call them in, like, you know, society today. Them using, like, that whole, like, oh my gosh, I'm this helpless person who, like, needs defending uh, against these, like, you know, black people who are just, like, really enjoying, you know, a barbecue or just walking, like, down the street selling lemonade, stuff like that. Kids, even, uh, sometimes. Um, And so it's them just, like, kind of weaponizing this damsel in the distress sort of, like, image that they've always had throughout society. Throughout media representations like Birth of a Nation and, and other things uh, and then using that to I guess further white supremacy by like weaponizing that against black men specifically and then black people generally. When
1: you talk about that I would even say you can look at a lot of like the 1980, 1990s uh, news clips and stuff where you see like a video of maybe like marches and stuff like that or like white women and stuff like that and it's like these black guys they're coming to get us and then and their husbands are like okay we're gonna go take care of them we're gonna protect the family. And yeah.
2: So I think that one brings everything full circle back to how some of these things started and some of the institutionalized things that began to uh, be brought into place maybe around like the 70s, 80s, 90s. That once these strong leaders or are, are out of the picture, the guys like Malcolm, guys like Martin Luther King, guys like Fred Hampton, they're out of the picture. Um, these institutionalized things kind of raise up where it's like, okay, we're going to change how we word things or we're going to make these laws or seem like we're fighting this crack epidemic um, where really the real reason why we're doing this is to incarcerate more black people and we need to get a hold of this right here. So how the laws come into place with that is super just crazy to me to hear about and to see because I do think that the wording of laws plays a big part in how things are perceived and how things are executed. Because I know with the uh, First Amendment, this is something that we used to talk about in journalism class all the time. Where it's like, when it comes to free speech, it's not that the government gives you right to free speech; it's that they can't take over, take it away. And that's something that is like written in the Constitution that Congress can't make any laws to take this away so when you word things like that it's kind of like okay it changes the whole narrative of it so whenever they word things like oh we have these things like three strike rules or we have these things where you have to serve 85% of your sentence it's like these things are put in there for a reason to kind of expedite the whole mission that they want um, applied I feel like.
1: Yeah and it leads to a lot of your how am I going to say this? Not your taking of it, but at least a lot of how do you see that law? Your interpretation. Yeah, you, there you go. That's the word I'm looking for. See, it leads out to your interpretation, which seems to be a lot of what these cases are all about. Like these two, two lawyers go in there to defend the prosecutor, and y'all sit there, there's my interpretation, This my interpretation. And it kind of leads to the judge being able to decide which is which. But uh, I guess uh, uh, as long as it doesn't deal with like the mandatory, like minimum and stuff like that, because then that kind of takes it out the judge's hand. Which I thought was kind of interesting because it seems like a lot of times, especially in the South, back in the day. Even sometimes now, the judge is kind of biased a little bit. That's just how it kind of feels to me, but I could be
0: wrong. And I feel like it definitely, well, obviously it shouldn't be that way. Um, and a part of me also kind of feels like it goes back to your media piece, because like, if we take the cases that people are the crimes that people are accused of committing, uh, they're like blasted throughout the media and whatnot, like it's very hard to have like an unbiased opinion on this person. You really should be viewing objectively. Uh, from the judge's standpoint, but also, like, when you're serving on a jury, you're only supposed to really serve on cases that you have no prior knowledge of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that way you're as objective in the whole uh, judicial process as possible. But, like, having such negative portrayals of certain groups of people in the media constantly makes that, like, almost impossible,
2: if not just straight up impossible. <clears throat> yeah, and I think it kind of gets to the point where, just like how laws were made after slavery to kind of keep the infrastructure slavery in place kind of things like Jim Crow were put into place directly after slavery it's like these things still kind of happen just in different ways after uh monumentous of events like the civil rights era taking place and we think that oh because of this we're going to get all this change it's like no we're just going to switch it up how it's interpreted or we're gonna change our ways a little bit where the same kind of theme
1: of everything is
2: still the same
1: one of the ladies said a she wrote a book called the new Jim Crow I have not read it but I'm definitely putting that on my list of things to read and to go back to the media the what one of the guys said it was that you've educated the public over years that black people are criminals to the point where some black people believe this Mm. and it's like, okay so once you've done that for years for generations even it's like all right, you could only expect that. Not saying it's right, but that's just what you could expect. Cause it's like this is what these people constantly watch the news. Even to this day, you watch the news. Okay, a black person kills such and such. They kill such and such. You don't really hear too much about like the the white, cause apparently the They at one point they said the FBI statistics show that there is I don't want to say exactly, but it's something where like there are just many like rapes and stuff for like white men, if not more. Yeah. But it's like what you see commonly on your local news station is that the black man always in a crime, something like that. And so over years, you're going to see that black man on public, you're
2: like, okay, he's a criminal.
0: Yeah. And I think to even add on to that, black people don't even have to be accused of a crime. So, like, I remember <laughs> I was 12, 12 when Trayvon Martin was murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously the initial outrage was, you know, oh my gosh, how does this, you know, this teenager get killed by this grown man? And then it immediately went to, like, people would post like these like pictures and stuff of Trayvon trying to paint him out to be this criminal when he was the victim in the whole thing yeah and so you just see that throughout like a bunch of other cases too with you know uh unarmed black people even though they were the victims in their cases they still get demonized in the media as being these like criminal type figures
2: to like make it seem like they almost deserved it when like I said they were the victim in the thing the whole time yeah and I think that kind of goes to taking away the right to a fair trial because if you desensitize people with this image of a person it's like whether they say it or not it changes how they perceive the situation yeah so it's Mm -hmm. like you're doing a disservice to the person or to both sides like you don't know the the law is that you're guilt you're innocent until proven guilty but all the time it seems like you're guilty if you are said you're guilty we just have to prove your innocence and that's not how the system is made and that's i don't
1: think how the system should be and then going back to what you said, Darius, Byron Allen said it when he was on The Breakfast Club. He said they dismiss you, then they discredit you, then they demonize you, then they dis- destroy you. And I guess in this case, destroying is convict you. Yeah, shout out to episode one. Yeah. The brother Byron Allen. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, it has been. I heard that term law and order were used a lot in this uh, documentary. I, I forgot when it was, I think, mass incarceration. Yeah, they're talking about the Southern strategy. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like the law and order, law and order, and then you see it revisited with Trump. Yeah. Like, this is the nation of Law & Order. I wonder, uh, ironic, that, that we have a TV show that we all watch, Law, Law & and Order. And <laughs> SVU. Shout-out <it's- laughs>
2: so to he- Olivia Benson, Detective Stabler. The go, bro, the go. Yo, my dad rides for them so hard, man. Like, I remember just always coming home. Like, it could be, like, 9 o'clock. My dad's always watching Law & Order, SVU. And he's, he's the type of person that really get into shows. So, he loves... uh uh, Detective Olivia Benson, for sure.
1: I used to hate missing the beginning because you know you missed the crime, and then yeah. you're trying to figure out like what are we trying to solve? I missed the crime. We used to watch the marathons, so hey, every time I used to go to my grandmother's house, she'd have to, they'd have the marathons on. Mm. Go sit in the room, and you go be a criminal justice major for a couple <laughs> days. But one of the <laughs> but one of the things that they were saying was it got to a point where they realized I think this was after Reagan and after who's other one? before Nixon. After Nixon. Nixon. It was like uh, to be a president, you had to have strict beliefs as far as. Y'all wanna finish
0: that? Yeah, for so it was either you had to you were either tough on crime, yeah. or if you weren't like super, super tough on crime, then you're basically just weak. And yes. so like you had to like figure out a way to like balance how to be well really not both. You just had to be basically tough on crime regardless of which party you belong to. Um which, I mean obviously that just ended up disproportionately affected like black and brown people, so
1: and that's whenever they said Clinton, that he was one of the first yeah. one had to kind of figure out how am I gonna gauge this to be able to get the, uh, to get the different votes and stuff like that and so he came in and he brought in the the two or three policies I know one of them was three, uh, three strikes and then the mandatory minimums and then the 1994 crime bill so y'all can break those down a little bit
2: yeah I don't know too much about that 94 uh, crime bill but that uh, minimal sentence thing the truth in sentencing I think is uh the name that it's called it was saying regardless of what you uh, get Indict, indicted of I think it is um, whatever sentence that you get you have to spend at least 85% yeah. of that yeah. in a actual jail no matter if you did it no matter if you didn't if you get convicted of that you have to no matter what spend 85% of that in a cell so I thought that was really just super over the top you know like especially if you get some of these cases where it's like real murky or it's a lot of gray areas it's like okay if i get convicted there's really no chance for me to appeal or uh, get out early on probation or anything like that it's like no you're serving 85 percent of
1: that makes you probably even more think about that plea deal
2: yeah and i was gonna say even to add on to
0: that like because there's such a discrepancy between like what a crime in, say, for instance, South Carolina is, I guess, worth as far as how much time you're going to spend in jail versus, like, you know, somewhere. It could even be in Georgia. So um, I know there was one story that they brought up. This lady, she had she was carrying some small amount of cocaine, I yeah. think. But she ended up getting like life in prison without parole for the, like this was her very first crime. Um, first crime in general. Yeah. Not just with cocaine. First crime in general. And so she's literally in jail the rest of her life behind this one mistake. Um, and then she has to do the sentencing just because, like, that's just the way that our legal system is set up. So, yeah. And
1: then with the three, you had anything more to say about that, nah, That was pretty much it. Okay, and the three strikes and you're out, that's three felonies, correct? I believe so yeah. yeah I think I did the research and then with the 1994 crime bill that was the militarization of the police from what I understand mm-hmm. and then so they said that kind of set the framework for a lot of stuff that we see today because of that bill so that's why he went back and was like that probably wasn't the best thing to do and it's like no no dips or a lot yeah. but I guess at the time he thought that, that was uh yeah. I don't know something one of the girls said she like she felt like he probably knew like this probably could potentially impact people in the wrong way but see that's happens to people of color in this country
0: yeah, so see, that's the thing. Like me being a poli sci major, like you don't former poli sci for, for, shout out. Ooh, I, I have a degree now. <laughs> <laughs> that boy got a paperwork. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like you don't, you don't enact stuff like that without have without someone having done the research and someone doing like the demographic studies and all the research that goes into making a proposal like that. You don't you don't just throw that together. So like, some either Bill Clinton knew, or someone very close to Bill Clinton knew. And just chose not to say
2: anything or chose not to do anything. But, like, that's not a mistake that you make. Yeah. I thought that three-strike rule was, I, I hate to say the worst one out of those because all of those ended up being very bad for a specific group. We all know that group is, that population um, in America. But the three-strike rule was something that really kind of hit home with me because it was, like, if someone makes a mistake when they're younger or – granted they do com- commit a crime boom that's one strike on you you got two strikes left the rest of your life or you're spending the rest of life in jail you know so if someone makes a couple mistakes and it's like hey i was really just like learning uh, figuring myself out or in these bad situations mm-hmm. like in the projects having to make things happen and it's like you get these strikes you get your third strike it's like boom that's that's it buddy like you had a good life sorry you, you're done and it's like If you make a bad decision, I don't think that should ever be a reason for you to not have the rest of your life. I don't think anyone should be able to make that decision off of anything, you know, not any law, not any conviction, anything like that. Uh, I think it should always be something where it's, hey, how can we change the mindset of this person? How can we rehabilitate this person mm-hmm. to get them back into society and as a functioning and beneficial member of society yeah yeah, Go ahead. yeah I mean I was just gonna add to that
0: because the way the prisons are set up now like we all know they're horrible uh, and even more so than that we know that they don't like you were saying rehabilitate anyone um, and so like not only did you obviously well in some cases did you you know make a mistake that led to you going into prison in the first place sometimes it's just that you just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. So other times you just black and available. Black in
1: America, uh,
0: nice. but anyway, so like yeah, like you go into prison and because you're not rehabilitated, you come out, you can't get a job because you're a felon. <laughs> yep, and so you end up not, a lot of times having to resort to crime just to make ends meet, yep. which likely will probably end you up to like what, like strike two, strike three. Uh, when in all actuality, mm-hmm. if you just you know rehabilitated the person when they were in prison, yeah. it just would have like you know resolved the issue before it was one. Yeah. Um and this is something i learned a little while ago too that sometimes like obviously when you're in prison you're you're working but you're not earning a paycheck or if you do it's like very small um especially if it's in one of these for profit prisons which we'll probably get into a little bit later um but you actually are like acquiring debt when you're in prison like you have to pay to be in prison mm and so you end up coming out of prison in more debt than when you went in God, but also no.
2: because you can't get a job when you get out of prison like it's just it's a double whammy of, yeah. <laughs> it's a double whammy man and i think that's just crazy how it's set up and it, to think that people are profiting off of these systems it's like man we still got a bad system in place even all these years after slavery you know um, and there was a scene in that Just Mercy movie where he was coming into town and he saw people Doing slave, well, doing prison labor, but it literally looked like slavery. You know, they had the chains on. They were working in fields. It's like, yo, this is, this is the twenty first century, and this stuff is still going on. So
1: I think people say they still see the chain game. If not, still now, very recently, still see a chain game. Like place like Louisiana, mm-hmm. like you can still go out there and watch the, the, the not watch, obviously, but you can still go out there and see the chain game. But also, they talked about the Scarlet Letter about uh, not you basically. Whenever you leave, you would hope that if the system was correct, you obviously rehab the person while in jail. So the jail should have be, had before, like psychologists and stuff, like teachers yeah. to help people. But when you get back out, there's always that question: you are you a convicted felon? Yeah. And so that stopped you from getting jobs, and so they were like that's almost like a scarlet letter. Yeah. And it's like you never you never can get rid of that, which obviously makes it hard to function in society, especially when it comes to like maybe starting a business or doing things of that nature. Which I mean, I get
0: I get in like some cases, like okay. if you. Like, if you literally murdered somebody, then, like, yeah, don't be, like, a middle school teacher. But, like... Yeah, your point. But, I mean, and that's, that's obviously, like, a very far-fetched thing. But, like, still, like... Even if you did do something, like, horrible, I think you're still, at the end of the day, you're a human being. Brian Steven, uh, Stevenson said it itself, um, you're not the worst thing that you've ever done. Um, and so, I mean, you're still, like, deserving of, like, a life and, like, the ability to, like take whatever it is that you've done and, like, make something good out of it. Make a better version of yourself. But, yeah, I mean, it's just tough to do that when, like I said, the... Well, really, we have the money to make all this stuff happen because if we just, like, didn't have such a militarized police
2: force, yeah. we could, like, divert funds to, like, these other things. Uh, but, yeah, it's just a lot. Yeah, and I thought that goes back to... Um, in 13th, there was one person who... I can't remember his name, but he dropped a quote where he was saying, prisons aren't... Made for you to kind of just punish someone that and that's what it seems like it is they're there to rehabilitate these people so i feel like the systems are kind of a little bit of both you know or set up like hey first you're gonna pay for what you did and then we're gonna punish you for doing what you did and i think those are two separate things and it's like who is any other man to punish another man like I mean, I, I know this is getting into religion, but I believe that like, God is the only person that can judge another person to that extent. So having that punishment mentality is like, I think we really need to get away from it. We could do so, much different, so many different things, like changing the mindsets, uh, really rehabilitating people and making them better function, functioning citizens of society.
1: Which inevitably, if they're fearful, these people are dangerous. To make the world a better place, if you're helping them rehab, every touch on some things. Maybe it's the fact that in some cases, like uh, maybe in the 80s when the crack epidemic was going around, did not realize that crack was obviously, I knew that I was associated with the black community. Didn't realize that cocaine was with the white one and the white person just get a slap on the wrist. Didn't realize that. But it's like maybe some of their issues result from you taking the father out of their home yeah. by putting crack into the black community and then arresting people yeah. for having crack, which sounds crazy. I feel like in another country they hear it they're like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, that's what really happened out yeah. here. But yeah, so maybe some of the problems y'all caused them or through the systems systemic excuse me racism things of that nature
2: yeah Uh, and I thought this is completely different but I thought it was kind of funny to think about how cocaine the whole cocaine industry um, whenever it was like illegal and everything that basically built Miami and different parts of Florida Uh. but then you see the crack epidemic destroy black communities so it's like oh, what's going on there like why does it benefit one group of people when it disparages another group of people I didn't even think about that yeah bro hey, that whole yeah. movie Scarface man. Hey, if you haven't seen Scarface, definitely check that out. Um, there, there's so much history on Miami and the ties that cocaine had to building that entire city. scarface thing. Scarface I, mean, it out.
1: I don't know, you know if this is scarface.
2: related to cocaine so I'm not gonna say that
0: but I will say <laughs> um, that it's interesting to think about uh, I took a, a racial and ethnic politics class uh, back in the day. Um, back in the day <laughs> and we were talking about basically the the different immigration routes that certain ethnic groups like took to get to america yeah. um, obviously there was this whole like communist thing in cuba and so a lot of uh, cubans were like immigrating to the u.s into florida yep but because we were all just like you know what we hate communism in america we just like basically let them come in we incentivize them to come in yeah obviously there's a large like hispanic and latino population in Miami specifically, but also just Florida, but there's yeah. also like a lot of black people too and so basically, the Republican Party really incentivized the Cubans to like settle in Miami and they gave them all these sorts of like government benefits and stuff that like helped them like create these like more stable communities, yeah, but didn't offer that same stuff to like the black people that were already there, mm. which created a lot of like racial tensions and stuff oh. between them Man, uh, that makes sense though yeah, and, makes so, so it basically sense. just like led to like the Cuban American community they were able to like I guess like solidify themselves a lot more and like solidify themselves in the culture a lot more than black people were able to. Okay, what are
1: some of the incentives? Do you know of any that he gave specifically? One or two? Uh it's been a minute since I looked into it.
2: Uh had to be some stuff with businesses. Yeah, though. I think
1: they definitely
0: did give them like maybe like some subsidized things so they could start businesses and stuff like that. Um maybe some help with like finding like housing, I okay. would just assume. These are all assumptions, do not
2: we're going to re- <laughs> yeah. we're going to research for sure. I know that it ha-
0: I know that they were benefits of some
2: sort. I'm just not <laughs> sure which ones they were. Man, that is crazy to think about because the whole topic of reparations that that's another podcast for another day,
1: but uh, Ooh, yeah. that
2: whole topic is like, man, could we get something like, you know, like these other groups of people have had these different things like even Native Americans like Native Americans got it just as bad and i don't want to say just as bad but definitely have some tremendously crazy things that happen to them and really really sad things that happen to them like by the hands of people who built this country and people who are still in power today um but you see them having reservations or they them having different things that are going on um and you never want to say like oh like that's enough it's it's never enough whenever there's lives lost and things but you look at the black community and it's like well what what do we get besides a like get over that
1: are we supposed to get 40 acres in a mule
2: supposed to yeah that was in south carolina uh special
0: order 46 i i can't remember that there was there was a special order and it had a number (laughs) but yeah so they were supposed to get 40 acres um along the coast of south carolina actually Um, which we got but it was almost immediately taken away damn Um, love to see it Uh, (laughs) hate to see it but yeah and so I I think I saw somebody on Twitter was like oh so we can't get reparations but the government can just send every you know working adult twelve hundred dollars just like that yeah yeah out of nowhere because it's like
1: so the money is there yeah. but yo okay and i think we're probably about to wrap this up but fred hampton i feel like a lot of people don't know who they are do y'all want to give a little background they talked about him in the documentary i heard the name, so i had to do some research but i just wanted everybody to kind of be informed
0: uh so basically the the short and quick version of fred hampton he was a leader within the black panther party in chicago i believe he was considered at one point to be one of the most dangerous men in america uh by the because, fbi right yeah about the well first off the FBI should be a podcast in and of itself <laughs> Especially during like the 60s and 70s Man, uh, Some real shady stuff going on But anyway uh, he considered to be one of the most dangerous men in America Because of his ability to bring together People of different racial groups uh, So within Chicago is where I believe He was uh, stationed He had gotten together black people, white people Native Americans, Puerto Ricans Other um, Hispanic and Latino groups You know, some more upper class people Some poor people, so on and so forth And so obviously the powers that be were just like, yeah We got to put a stop to this one. Yeah. And so he was 21 when he was murdered by the police. They literally went into his apartment where his pregnant wife was like laying in bed next to him. I believe it was 430 in the morning. And just like to say open fire is like an understatement, Mm -hmm. like a barrage of bullets just like, you know, flying into his apartment, you know, brutally murdered in cold blood all because, you know, he was fighting for, you know, the rights of the less fortunate, not I don't want to say less fortunate, but the marginalized communities uh yeah. that we're really still
2: fighting for today. Man, it, it, it's wild to think about. Well, first, we got to talk about how young this man was and how that was kind of a theme around so many of the civil rights leaders that we herald today. You know, Martin Luther King was 35, 39 when he died, I believe. I know he wasn't yeah, 40. He was, yeah, he
0: wasn't quite 40. Uh, yeah.
2: Um, then you got Fred Hampton, who's over here, 21 years old. Bringing like, people together like bro, that. and just think about it. We got 21 year old Like, I'm 22, but yeah. it's like people in our generation that aren't nearly of the same mindset as that. Yeah. I feel like it just takes a super intelligent person and a super dedicated person yeah. to say, Hey, this is my life, and I know I'm young, but... I need to make a change, or I can make a change, or I have the ability to make a change. So all of our leaders that were going on at this time, it, them being so young and making such a, a big, big change, just to think that these people could literally still be alive today if they weren't killed in cold blood, um, that's just, it blows my mind to think about. And it kind of puts that pressure on me as an individual where it's like, I I like to think, oh man, like you're young, you got time uh, ahead of you, but man, there were people before you doing way bigger things at their age group um, than you are right now. And I know we, on the Dominated Decade podcast, we have had some pretty uh, heavy topics to start off the the podcast, but it won't always be like this. Hopefully we can talk about some empowerment pretty soon. (laughs) Hopefully we can talk about some lighter subjects. Um, We had to come out
1: the gate swinging. Yeah,
2: had to. Had to talk about some real issues, and the conversations always focus around things that really mean something to us, so that's been, these are some things that have been weighing on us recently, but uh, it won't always be so such hard conversations. Um, And I think a a lighter one, a one of the co-hosts, Matt Anderson, was recently featured on another podcast, my man out here doing other big things. He he cheated on the podcast, but it's all, it's all good, man. We support we support black business out here. So you were on uh, the MTG,
1: yeah, my boy Malcolm. I think it's MTG Sports. To be specific. Shout out. Uh, we'll tweet him out. We'll retweet something he has. But anyway, yeah, he's a fan of the show. Shout out Malcolm. I hope you're listening. Shout out Malcolm. Yeah, but uh, he had me on there, and we were just talking about sports a little bit. A little bit more about my bread and butter, yeah. like. And so we we're just talking about the NBA playoffs, and not the NBA playoffs, but they're thinking about having the. Do you know the specific name of it? I think it's just
2: A, a circuit com- or something like that? Something like that. It- I-, I haven't read too much about it. I actually learned a lot from y'all's conversation.
1: Yeah, so they're thinking about having something like that down in Orlando and they're just trying to figure out and what it'll be with twenty two teams will come and play a couple games, figure out what the seeding will be and then continue like the regular playoffs. And so some players are saying that they don't want to play. I think Avery Bradley specifically said he doesn't want it to. Yeah. Kyrie and some of the I think Dwight Howard are saying that it would kind of serve as a distraction for the Black Lives Matters and things yeah. right now because then everybody just gets back to sports and goes on to life as usual. You've seen things on Twitter. People be like, yo, Brianna Taylor, we're not talking about her anymore. Yeah. And so they're trying not to phase that out. But that will be in Orlando. It's been approved. You see that the – we'll stay on this, but I'm just saying that you see baseball season has been approved, The football. Yeah. they trying to make this thing happen. They yeah. are trying their they best. They need that money. The, I'm telling you, <laughs> like, from high school level to college. Uh, I think Clemson just had, like, seven, 11, 15 more guys. Yeah, test positive. Test positive for COVID, so they're trying to. But, yeah, so that's what we we're talking about. Yeah, Ellis, you had, what, 23? Yeah. So, yeah, they boys oh went to a nightclub, which I guess a lot of people go to a nightclub. But it's like, this kind of high here. Man, Ooh. hey, I'll tell you what. I don't
2: understand and I don't see us having a college football season definitely not high school season yeah. like I think that's way too much of a risk because with the, the NFL or NBA of course you can do a little bit more things with uh, containing players yeah. and making it kind of like a bubble but high school College, you're not controlling people and saying, Hey, don't go over here, don't do this. So,
1: because in college, they're having this thing where they're having the guy sign the waivers. Yeah, it's like, So, just case you get COVID, you know, what I'm saying we're not responsible, which is you know, crazy in itself. But I heard somebody say this, I am not quoting Twitter here, but sometimes I get some really good points in there. <laughs> One of the guys, because more Morehouse has decided that they are canceling the season. I saw that Quincy Avery, Sean Watson, quarterback, coach. Shout out him. should be listening to the podcast. Now I'm hit you up. But that's not the point. <laughs> so anyway, so he was saying that. And somebody replied. They're like, uh, HBCUs are actually, some of the HBCUs that have decided to cancel the season are actually showing they care a little bit more. Because in places like Clemson and Ohio State, they have all that funding. Cannot keep not keep COVID away, but cannot contain COVID. Schools with lesser budget of football have absolutely no shot. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that was one breakdown. I was like, oh, so I saw, you know, I had to give the man a shot. I said, hey, this yeah. is a good point. My guy, he ain't like it. And they don't never show you no love. But it, it was all good.
2: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, your episode with uh, your boy Malcolm was really insightful. Um, I liked the part where you were saying how you had to kind of transition from only talking about sports yeah. to, like, some other things. So thinking about that, I definitely had my own little – journey to talking about some heavier issues. I used to love sports. I still love sports, man. And I know we don't want to take any uh, any shine away from the things that are going on right now, but, dog, I can't wait till NBA comes back on, Hey, my Celtics, they they looking good right now. They were looking good before everything started. Shout out to the boys, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, my two favorite players. But, man, this NBA season, I feel like, is... Gonna definitely be one for the books, you know.
1: You seen Tatum got a new haircut?
2: Let's not speak. Of
1: that
2: <laughs> I, I don't think that. I don't think that's the move at all. Um, Tatum, I think we need to switch it back to, <laughs> to the other haircut. But hey, as long as you get in buckets, my man, you can have whatever haircut
1: you thought, want. Thought it was crazy that Kobe wanted him to go. That Kobe told the Lakers to get him. But obviously, it's good PR. They're like, we'll take Lonzo. Yeah. And it turns out to be Jason Tatum really was that guy. Yeah,
2: Jason Tatum. I, I be telling people all the time, man, like, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum gets more of the hype now. Definitely. But I'm like, Jalen Brown is just as good, man. He He really took another leap this year. So, super excited to see how the end of the season kind of plays out. And who ends up taking home the title because... There's a lot of great teams this year. Uh, Both LA teams, uh, Celtics, oh Clippers, uh, uh, Raptors are still nice. Man, Kawhi leaving there really didn't make too too much of a dent, even though he brought them a championship last year. Brought the six,
1: brought the six a (laughs) championship.
2: But uh, yeah, super excited to see how things unfold. my Man of is over here twiddling his thumbs because he's not too much into <laughs> sports, but uh. yeah, like you said, I'm definitely not the sports guy. Uh, but you know what?
0: Since there's been nothing else to do this NBA season, I will be tuning in, yeah. Uh, if y'all want to help me pick a team, uh, just at me on Twitter Celtics, man. Celtics, we got one right here.
1: We'll go with the Clippers. We got it. I gotta get that shirt. What are do you know the, what are their shirts? They have like the font, like Grand Theft Auto, uh. I can't think of the name of those shirts i don't know hard. they're like city uniforms and things it's hard i yeah. seen i was watching all listening to all the smoke podcasts actually they through, i was watching the video one on youtube and they had my guy matt barnes was wearing it. i was like i yeah. need that i'm like this is what advertising does yeah this <laughs> is get exactly what the advertising av- does. they get you with the
2: advertising bro but i know my man matt's got a slide somewhere but thank y'all for listening to another episode of dominate the decade uh we will be back asap that's pretty much everything I got y'all got anything else any parting shots any parting
1: like Drake said last week they told us to take a break we need recovery
2: <laughs> sometimes <laughs> gotta drop the Drake line in there, <laughs> that's it from us I'll catch y'all next time Peace. I'm it's like I
1: heard the streets talking to me. I'm really really trapped those clothes know me to go nigga. I'm really really trapped